This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. <sighs> okay, Tom. Everyone's insisting that we read these tweets that Tom really wants <laughs> us to read and thinks are funny. So go ahead. I think they're really funny. You know, I love comedy. I love comedy. I love the Greens. Mm-hmm. And I just love that those two loves of mine have come together and are being mm. absolutely roasted and torn apart with withering satire. Thanks to <laughs> Twitter account at GreensAU2. The official Greens. Is this kind of like our, our podcast is an unofficial podcast? That's the unofficial Twitter? Well, it's listed as Australian Greens in brackets parody. It is a verified mm. account, which as we all know now means that they're paying money to tweet and be on X, which is very, very sad. Uh, their description is uh, lots of emojis, the vax emoji, mask emoji, trans flag emoji, rainbow flag emoji, um, black fist, power fist emoji. All the scary uh, emoji. things, yeah. Ban electricity, gas, petrol, and private property. Fund Hamas. Criminalize <laughs> incorrect opinions. Parody account. <laughs> their location is inner city suburbs. That's that's pretty funny, I guess. Which is pretty good. Yeah. They've been kicking around since July 2023. They've got 1,500 followers. Pretty good. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and... They're just roasting us in a really like good way. We're wrecked basically um, because of these very cool tweets. Um, some examples follows as such. Okay. On the matter of Donald Trump. Yep. Greens AU2 tweeted, if Donald Trump becomes president again, we'll go to America to leave it again. <laughs> With Israel now on the offensive, refugee applications from Hamas fighters are at an all-time high. We're launching a website that allow you to browse through a list of certified fighters, <laughs> review their accomplishments, and sponsor one or two or three or more fighters to bring to Australia and into your home. Like flatmates.com or whatever, but for Hamas <laughs> fighters. Okay. Yeah. Sponsored like adopt a pet or adopt a highway. Oh, yeah. Sponsored fighters will be given instant citizenship, will be forgiven for any war crimes they've committed, and will be gifted lifetime Greens memberships. Green love heart. (laughs) I do like the green love heart. (laughs) They're all men aged 18 to 30, so they'll largely be able to take care of themselves. You'll just need to provide them with a room to sleep in, your car, food, clothes, money, ammunition, and a place to train. Now, this is not real. Again, okay. I, just, I just can't. I just have to reiterate: this is, this is not real. This is something they're making up to do funnies. I think what it is. Okay, this is like Chasers War and everything, like early mid two thousands style, mm. like skit. But they try and make it into a tweet. So if you yep. had like a production budget and you were not very funny, but wanted to kind of of appeal to like you know maybe enough people that would watch a skit about this, and you could do this skit about bringing Hamas fighters into your home and Mm. you just have to provide them with ammunition and a place to train, like maybe, but they put it in a tweet. Is that what's happening? Mm. Do you think that's the issue? Yeah, I feel like every every one of these tweets could probably end with not. Yes. And it would still have the same kind of level. Well, it would help. It is followed, this account is followed by Sed Zazelja, the uh, failed liberal senator for the ACT Uh who lost in 2022. Yep. Um, It's followed by wonderful people like Janet Inglis, whose handle is at... Die Mad Turf, and her bio oh. is Australian woman. <laughs> oh wait, so the turf doesn't die mad again? These people, like, it's their communications really letting them down because it sounds like she's saying like Die Mad Turf, but she's the turf that's gonna die she's mad. Yeah. 
Why is that your own handle? Isn't turf a slur according to you as well? I'm so confused. Okay, go on. The bios of other people who follow this account also really tickled me. Okay, I'll just scan you through a few Some of these. Aussie flags. Yeah, a lot of Aussie flags. Woman, aka adult human female, dead set turf. Pedophiles should be shot. If I block <laughs> you, it's because you're an idiot and you want to be better. DMs equal block. <laughs> DMs Australian equal block. I've seen that one before. What does that mean? Why? Why can't someone just message you? You're like, hey, man, haven't no. seen you since high school. Just, just came across your account. Would be great to connect. Block. An Australian watching our pathetic work government waste our money. Hope common sense makes a comeback. Cat lover. Oh, that's nice. I will never be silenced. The truth will prevail. Proud biological woman. Conspiracy realist. 11th oh. account. Oh, oh, no. Send help. <laughs> this one's pretty good too. Identify as trans royal. Pronouns Harry slash Meghan. Parents suffered from trans housing by proxy. Lefty who's proudly and blocked by homophobe and misogynist Billy Bragg. Okay, can we move on and do the show now? Give them a follow, everyone, at GreensAU2. It is a parody account. I just want to reiterate this is not real and it's not the actual Greens and what the Greens think and say, but they are. Bring us down with comedy. Talk about the Greens. They're funny. That bunch of idiots. The Prime Minister has the call. I joined the Labor Party when I was at school because I could never have afforded to join the Greens. <laughs> Let me just make that point. Let me just make that point. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcast. Laughter after all is the best medicine, everyone. And that's why we do Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. Serious Danger official underscore two, not an official Greens party podcast made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week... We're talking about a billionaire mm-hmm. who is friends with Trump or maybe not. And then we try to figure out what the deal is with the EV tax, tax bad, tax good, good that the court says tax cannot exist anymore. Or now are we going to solve climate change? Who can say? Uh, in the meantime, hey, thank you if you're a new patron, Jesse and Kobe. That's very nice of you. Thanks for supporting the show to those nice people. And yes, we released an episode this week from uh, from Patreon. Our next instalment in our sixty five part series, <laughs> reading through <laughs> Patty Manning's Inside the Greens. We're up to chapter one already. <laughs> By the, the time we get through it, party. the Greens will be in government. So yes. come along with us on the journey. The ACMU <laughs> plan to read a book. A- <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say I was thrilled by the mysterious disappearance of what's her name? Brenda? Brenda Heen. Brenda Heen, as recounted by Tom, well, by the book that Tom read in this episode. She was, there was a fucking, there was an environmentalist murder in Australia's history that I didn't know about. So some good stuff. Yes. We should talk about that more for sure. Hmm. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU for just three bucks a month. You can get that kind of bonus content, more bonus episodes on the way. Um, we're not going to be at national conference. everyone. If you're there today, <laughs> sorry, you may as well not have gone because we are no longer performing. <laughs> so you should just leave now. <laughs> you, you may as well not go because you won't be able to see us on zoom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the format in which you probably are already seeing us. Um, mm. But, yeah, 
they didn't have the technical capacity at where is that the fucking Hilton or something, which is I don't know. So what the Hilton can't even host a host a Zoom call. Who can say? They probably just didn't want us there. I feel as though, you know, perhaps we are being censored by the Australian Greens Party. Uh, And that's just something, you know, that's something that I'm willing to push through. Uh, It's not me saying that. It's it's alleged. It's alleged censorship. But if you want to hear if you want to hear our views live and uncensored, you can do that. We are celebrating our 100 100th episode uh, with a live show in Melbourne on Saturday, November the 18th at 5 p.m. at Comedy Republic. Tickets are on sale now. People are already buying them. Always surprises me. People buy tickets to these things. I promise I am really going to try and not experience a major emotional trauma and not show up this time. I've got tickets booked. I'm coming. So please also book your tickets. The link is in the show notes, comedyrepublic.com.au. We would love to see you there. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bert Bacharach. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but everyone. Well, he was a friend and supporter of Donald Trump. But now, Aussie billionaire Anthony Pratt's true feelings towards the former president have been exposed in secret recordings obtained by 60 Minutes. We're here to celebrate a great opening and a great gentleman, as you know, from Australia, Anthony Pratt. Former president shared potentially sensitive information about America's nuclear submarines while at Mar-a-Lago. In all, Pratt described what the former president had told him with at least 45 others, including six journalists, 11 of his company's employees, 10 Australian officials, and three former Australian prime ministers. Hey, Emerald, the world sucks and it's on fire. And obviously the biggest story still dominating the headlines, rightly so, is the situation in Gaza. Love and solidarity to Palestinian people. People try to do anything about resisting that fucking shit show. Australia sending arms overseas, fantastic stuff. That will definitely make it better. We love that. Anyone calling for a ceasefire? Anyone saying, hey, don't shoot everybody and bomb everyone? (laughs) Being depicted as extremely radical position, yeah, I know, yeah. Anyway, we're going to leave that uh, issue to one side for this week to to focus on other things. And I think it's important to make time to laugh at the lizards that make up our ruling class. Would you agree? Are we getting into like actual lizard conspiracy time, which I think also probably has anti-Semitic roots? So we probably don't want to. We're not talking about. You can't even call people lizards. lizards anymore. You can't call people lizard. You can't have stuffed octopus toys. Did you hear about this? Greta Thunberg got in trouble for oh, having yes. an octopus. That was the most fucking ridiculous bullshit ever, as if an octopus is an anti-Semitic symbol apparently b- yes. because people drew Jewish people as an octopus. And, and anyway. she put the octopus in the first. She had an <laughs> octopus that was like a support toy for her autism. Like yes. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this is not well, that. <laughs> This is not that. Although, I mean, of course, the classic is um, Eve Barlow, whatever, saying a sign that said free parking and being triggered because she thought it said free Palestine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also I saw a few weeks ago, we didn't talk about this, but we talked about Gaza, some people in <laughs> some people in England saw some people paragliding and thought oh, it was insensitive yeah. in light of the recent attacks. So they thought that Hamas Snowflakes. was, Snowflakes was trying to invade Dover or something. Desperate right. to feel oppressed as always. But go on. Well. The billionaire we're talking about is a Jewish man, but that has absolutely nothing to do with why he oh, sucks he? and is bad <laughs> okay. and terrible, yeah. okay? Completely separate. He is a 
billionaire who happens to be Jewish, clearly irrelevant, nothing to do with it. He sucks for completely <laughs> different reasons, mm. completely unrelated to his ethnic background. Let's get that mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> he is Australia's cardboard billionaire and there's been a lot of talking about his relationship with Donald Trump and some insights into their relationship and friendship and getting a little bit of a uh, word. Cardboard billionaire. Sorry, I thought you meant that he was like a cardboard cutter. Now I understand that you mean he has gained his billions of dollars from selling cardboard. Thank you. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's very interesting reporting. Uh, I mean, the breaking news is that rich people talk to each other and undermine our democracy and wield influence and um, (gasps) fuck us working people over with their huge amounts of money. I know. But it is quite juicy that we get to actually hear this stuff directly and- just a reminder, of course, that capitalism sucks. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you were not familiar with Anthony Pratt, is that right, for this week? No, I feel as though maybe I'm a bit stupid. I think, uh, like, you know, maybe vaguely familiar, but no, it didn't immediately make me go, oh, that guy. I'd say he's, sort of, he's been around for ages, but he doesn't get the same kind of headlines out there as Eugenia Reinhardt, so you tweet yeah. or your Clive Palmer. He's not sort of as public-facing necessarily as those two and doing crazy shit on the reg. But... Mm. Um, He's definitely worth knowing about. Would you say he's really attractive and hot just based on the photos that I've put in the show notes? I see you've put some photos in the show notes and it took me a while to be like, okay, that's Trump, that's Scott Morrison, and the other guy, I guess, is this guy, Um, Anthony Pratt. Oh, the second one's, he looks a little unwell. Is that Malcolm Turnbull in the background? Yes. Wow, what a flashback. Remember when we were all like, fuck Malcolm Turnbull, and then he left and we were all like, oh, he's not so bad, is he? Oh, he did a book. You know, he was trying his best. <laughs> like, fucking hell. I still hate Malcolm Turnbull all the time. I've yeah. looked into this. I don't know whether Anthony Brown has any particular health conditions. How old do you think he is, though? Uh, so 65. Wow, good guess. 63. I think he looks okay. terrible oh, I'm good. 63. Look at me. May as well be a doctor. I think based on that photo Stephen Colbert said, when he stands when he stands next to Donald Trump, it mm. looks like <laughs> it looks like they make Anthony Pratt's face out of Trump's hair and Trump's hair out of Anthony Pratt's face. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Trump looks great in this photo. He always looks good. <laughs> sure. The, the, the photo of him, Morrison, and Trump all doing the thumbs up is there's something, there's a very bad energy, satanic kind of vibes. You'd fit in that photo that. a little bit, Tom. Hey. It's a similar vibe. I have a similar vibe to Scott Morrison, Donald Trump and Anthony Pratt. Go fuck yourself. How about that? (laughs) Sorry. He is Australia's third richest person, third richest billionaire on the list. Uh, Gina Reinhart, number one. Twiggy Forrest, number two. Got a net worth of about $24.3 billion. Oh, is that all? He's the executive chairman of Vizzy Industries, known as Pratt Industries in the US, which is the Mm. world's, as we all know, the world's largest privately owned Mm. paper packaging and recycling company. One of my favourites. I always, I only go busy. They try to give me another piece of cardboard. I'm like, stop, is this busy or not? Otherwise it's trash. And he, he has he has worked really hard for that business like and all that wealth. He, he's a self-made yeah. billionaire. He put in the hard yards. He innovated. He worked really hard and he inherited the, the entire business from his dad. Mm, with hard work, yeah. Which is hard to do. Not everyone gets on with their dads, you know. So that's right. It is hard. Dads can be annoying. To network, you know, listen to, to the dad sure. jokes, get your billions. Okay. Yeah. His dad was Richard Pratt, aka Dick Pratt, which is a stupid, funny name. It is. And funny. 
He is, of course, praised as a wonderful Australian entrepreneur and business owner, but he was a total crook. In 2007, <laughs> Pratt and his busy group of companies were fined a record $36 million for colluding in a four-year price-fixing and cartel scheme with their arch rival in Australia's cardboard industry. The cardboard and cartel. Poor. Wow. <laughs> Scandalous. It's going to be a fun it episode. I vaguely remember this actually kicking around the news back then. But, yeah, it was like for four years you had executives – meeting in secret, calling each other on these secret prepaid mobile phones. Oh, and basically those is. two companies, Vizzy and Amcor, made up 90% of the market and they basically arranged to fix prices. It increased Vizzy's market share from 47% to over 55% and is believed to increase prices by about 20% during those four years. Damn. And it just, just shows that capitalism that is all about competition, you know. Mm. We, we love competition. Yeah. Massive companies love competing against their Competitors, Market obviously, and deliver. It's good for the people. Deliver it, and we're always, and that's how people become so rich. And the people who are rich deserve all their money, and they got all that money through really hard work and uh, mm. by playing by the rules. So, yeah, good. Dick Pratt, very good mates with one Bill Shorten. Bill Shorten once went oh. on a holiday to Cuba, uh, flying on Dick Pratt's private jet. Yes, yeah, because isn't this is one thing I think I know about Vizzy is that they're major, part, uh, like political donors, right? Uh, the Pratts are specifically, yes. And I, I guess where the Pratts end and Vizzy begins is all very yeah. um, hard to figure out. But, yes, we'll be finding out more about Mr. Pratt's wonderful influence and political activism and supporting <laughs> of free political speech in the Australian mm. system um, very soon. I guess the other thing to know about Anthony Pratt before we move on to why he's in the news this week is that he's very fucking weird. And okay. I sent you footage of... Anthony Pratt singing a version of Burt Baccarat's What the World Needs Now. This is at a function a few years ago, I think maybe like 2016 or something like that. And he changes the lyrics to What the World Needs Now is a busy box. Lord, we don't need to chop the trees down. There are trash heaps and landfills for us to choose. All that's garbage. Is golden, such streets refuse enough to use till the end of time. What the world needs now is a busy box. No, not just for some, oh, but just for every. He did parody, much like Oz Green's too. Um, mm, he was parody. parodying, I suppose, yes. what the world needs now. And I and guess the crazy little. thing is Burt Bacharach is fucking there, right? This is how rich and influential he is. So mm. he can afford to, I assume, pay Burt Bacharach shitloads of money to yeah. play one of his beloved beautiful songs and watch him absolutely shit and piss all <laughs> over it and change the lyrics from the world needing love mm. to the world needing the product. A busy that box. Company. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> Apparently did the same thing in 1999 at event. He did a version of I Did It My Way with Paul Unka, but he also made it about box making. <laughs> Fucking hell. Again, billionaires who have no idea how to spend all their money. They just spend it is a sickness. It is truly a sickness. So a few weeks ago there were stories about Anthony Pratt and Trump. Uh, US media was reporting that Trump had leaked classified information about US submarines 
two businessmen, Anthony Pratt, mm-hmm. uh, Pratt and Trump, are buddies because, of course, they are. They're part of the same billionaire class. They love sure. Yeah. And Trump is under an FBI investigation over his alleged leaking of classified information. Mar-a-Lago was just on for young and old. Secret files flying all over the place. <laughs> You'd open a bathroom <laughs> and there was just like four filing cabinets with mm-hmm. FBI secrets or whatever. Yeah. Uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump allegedly shared potentially sensitive information about U.S. nuclear submarines with Australian billionaire Anthony Pratt, who allegedly then shared the information with dozens of others. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Well. Don't tell well, many people. What about what about forty five others? Is that okay? Well, are they rich? Yeah, they're rich. Yeah, well, you can tell the rich ones. You can only tell. Just the rich don't ones. tell anyone else. This is in April of twenty twenty one. They're having a chat. Uh, he gets this information. He tells at least forty five others, including six journalists and three former <laughs> Australian prime ministers. <laughs> wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Australian solidarity. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It was. He just loves the gossip. It's very nice. Mm. But he allegedly told Trump, Pratt allegedly told Trump at this meeting, he believed Australia should start buying its submarines from the United States, right? That's five months before AUKUS is then announced. Mm. So five months later, mm-hmm. we get the big old August news. So some, I don't know whether huh. you could put it all down to Anthony Pratt, but it does seem quite bizarre. Yep. Trump then allegedly responded by sharing top secret information about its submarines, the supposed exact number of nuclear warheads they routinely carry, and exactly how close they supposedly can get to <laughs> Russian submarines without being detected. Just chat. Just did a chat, you know. What else are you going to talk about when you're a billionaire yeah, and a president? Know. I don't, yeah. One of Trump's former Mar-a-Lago employees allegedly told U.S. investigators that within minutes of Pratt's meeting with Trump, the former employee heard Pratt relaying to someone else some of what <laughs> Trump had said. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Literally goes around the corner. He's like, okay, don't tell anyone. But guys, you will never believe <laughs> what he just told me. So that was flying around a couple of weeks ago. There's, there's, there's um, you know, reports that Pratt may potentially be called as a witness to testify against Trump in this particular case. Okay. But this week, 60 Minutes ran a story outlining leaked documents and secret recordings of Pratt talking to someone, we don't know who, uh, very freely about who Trump is his relationship with Trump, the stuff that Trump did in private, and also more broadly about Pratt's relationship to trying to carry influence with with Trump and a bunch of other members <laughs> of the global ruling class, and it is all quite juicy, I must say. Okay. So the recordings we have are just of Pratt talking to someone. They're not uh, actually like Trump on tape talking between mm. him and Pratt. And, yeah, they don't tell us too much about Trump that we don't already know in that he's a fucking psycho and he's weird and bad. But... <laughs> we get some insights into the kind of stuff that Trump was saying directly to Pratt, according to Pratt, and also, yeah, some insights into Anthony Pratt's general vibe of just buying influence with the rich and powerful across the world. So this is what we learned about Trump from these revelations. Pratt describes how in 2019 Trump told him he just ordered the U.S. military to conduct an airstrike on Iranian-linked militants in Iraq. He then disclosed a private phone call he'd had with the leader of Iraq. I hadn't even heard it. It hadn't even been on the news yet. He said, I just bombed Iraq today. I just bombed Iraq today. And the president of Iraq <laughs> oh, called me You're up working and on said, that. you just leveled my city. <laughs> That's quite good. Thanks. Are you working on that for a show? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Maybe. Should. Who knows? <laughs> Lots of people are saying. <laughs> this is really good, Tom. Brett says Trump then boasts about his response. And the president of Iraq called me up and said, you just leveled my city. And he said, and I said to him, okay, what are you going to do about it? 
incredible that these are kind of the calls happening between the leader of the free world and, yes. and yeah. other sovereign leaders. Pratt also says Trump bragged about his phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky about trying to pressure him to investigate Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine and basically said, man, that's nothing. The stuff I we talk about all the time is way harsher than that. Um, oh, my God. And also claimed that his Men. conversations with Vladimir Putin were bugged by security agencies. Uh-huh. We also learned, of course, that he's a misogynist cunt, uh, although no. I guess we already knew that. Yeah. Really? Okay. On Melania, Pratt recounts how Trump demeaned his own wife at Mar-a-Lago. Melania, who was sitting next to him at dinner, he said, I asked Melania to walk around the pool in a bikini so all the other guys could get a look at what they were missing. Jesus Christ. Then Melania said back to him, I'll do that when you walk around with me in your bikini. That's, That's funny. Okay, go off. <laughs> Pratt basically says Trump likes to say outrageous things. We already knew that. He, he also describes him as a mafia figure. Uh, Trump, okay. of course, denies all this and released an amazing response on Twitter X this week. I will okay. do the voice. The failing New York Times story about a red-headed weirdo. <laughs> this is not as good. You lost it. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was too amused by the phrase red-headed weirdo. <laughs> From Australia named Anthony Pratt is fake news. I never spoke fake to him news. about submarines, but I did speak to him about creating jobs in Ohio and Pennsylvania because that's what I'm all about. Jobs, a great economy, low taxes, no inflation, energy dominance, strong borders, no endless wars, low interest rates. Oh, my God. More. more than that. That's so many things, Trump. Wow. You are so busy. What a guy. Um, this Is this where we get to do the little the meme that's got the person with waving the Australian flags with the cork screw, the corks in the hat, and that says Australia mentioned. Australia mentioned. <laughs> this is Australia at the elite, you know, national, yeah. international level. We should be very proud of ourselves. Trump just mentioned Australia. Look at that. Look at this go. Redhead weirdo. I think weirdo <laughs> is, is still. Weirdo is a good insult. It's good, yeah. Uh, what we also learned about Pratt from all these revelations and these secret tapes is, of course, that he uses his money to try and get access to rich and powerful people. What do you know? He spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on membership and event fees at Mar-a-Lago, which is Trump's uh, Florida club, of course. This is, this is pretty fascinating. In a draft copy of a speech Pratt delivered to a Jewish group in late 2019, Pratt describes how he became a member of the Mar-a-Lago resort as a st- strategic play to secure access to Trump. My membership has given me a seat at the table where the president relaxes socially and mingles with his guests. The key thing being a member at Mar-a-Lago has done has been that I see the president a few times a year. These people are fucked. It's great. It's like he's bragging about this at another event yeah. saying, hey, check out this awesome um, access that I have. Yeah. A line that – and 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 uh, it's important to note that this happens for all presidents and it was sort of most public and people were most worried about it with Trump and like, oh, he's still running his hotels that people might buy influence staying at his hotels but it's just like every president does this particularly in the US where the money in politics is just insane and everywhere Mm -hmm. it's definitely turned out to be a strategic decision and a very good investment this is what he apparently (laughs) was going to say in the speech Uh, in another crossed out sentence the draft Pratt speech states President Trump is a very reciprocal man so apparently just draw (laughs) lines through that saying oh no decided not to say that okay yeah just a little too on the nose Pratt's draft speech also states, I also support Trump because he's been the most pro-Israel American president in our time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the recordings, Pratt talks about uh, Prince slash King Charles. King Charles is another powerful figure Pratt has cultivated. While he was a prince, 
uh, with documents listing a final payment to HIH, His Royal Highness, of $182,000 in 2021. Is that all? That's not much. It's not that much. I think there are well, a number what, of payments. The king needs $182,000. I don't think so. Well, of course, it's all for his charities. And there have been a number of stories about Charles sorting things out for people who are very generous and donate to his charities. To his charities. Okay. Yeah, sure. Amazing quote from Pratt on these tapes. My superpower is that I am rich. Yes. <laughs> so I am useful to him, right? <laughs> he says of Charles. But then he says, I see him as an undervalued political stock. It is just that he's a laughing stock now, but when he is king, they won't be laughing. I mean, we wow. are still laughing. We are still laughing. We're still laughing. Yeah. But once again, the idea that the royal family is somehow kind of neutral and not politically involved or whatever, but it's yeah. like, they have political weight and influence and rich people like Anthony Pratt recognise that and like to cozy on us. Of course. Yeah. Mm. He also loves Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Anthony Pratt says, Rudy is someone I hope will be useful one day. Plus, I just think he's cool. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Well, like, I mean, look, make no mistake. It is pleasurable to be rich, I'm sure. But also, like, it's true that it's so fucking sad and lonely, the way that they are all just looking at each other like, you could be useful to me, you could be useful to me. What a sad way to live your, like, quote, unquote, social life. It gets sadder. Okay. Pratt says that he paid Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, who is an absolute freak and would be the yes. worst guy to be stuck talking to at a party. Absolutely. Paid him almost a million dollars to attend his 60th birthday in 2020. <gasps> I will now be increasing the price of tickets to my next birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you were already charging, but now you realise right. there's a lot more headroom. There's a lot more, there. yes, yes. It's uh, you got to pay the price if you want to hang out with me. An insufferable freak. <laughs> it didn't happen, though, because in 2020, obviously, his travel plans meant that Giuliani couldn't even come. Hang on. Did whole, he whole still birthday. pay the money? He paid him beforehand, so he's given this money. So he basically just talks to Rudy Giuliani on the phone about once a week. Oh, no. Oh, buddy. Okay, you make me feel almost sorry for him. Keep going. Here's, a, I guess, a sad figure in a way, but no, here's some more information that will make you hate him. We found out a bit more through these leaked documents and these secret recordings, a bit more about Pratt's influence in domestic Australian politics and affairs and some other people he's giving some money to. I think you'll really enjoy some of these revelations. Oh, okay. We already knew he's one of Australia's biggest political donors. According to the AEC records, he's donated, donated almost $10 million over the past decade. That's obviously just the stuff that we know about. Yeah. Mostly it's been to the Liberals, but increasingly more and more uh, chipping in more mm -hmm. cash to the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. The leaked documents detail an apparent $1 million donation he made to Labor in January, which is yet to be publicly disclosed because our laws are fantastic, uh -huh. and which comes after reported donations in the 2021-22 financial year of $1.96 to the ALP and $1.7 to the Coalition. Wait, when were those donations from? So that's from the last financial year. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> but I guess, yes, so that would be around election time. But then Yeah, so he's making two-way bets. This year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically exactly the same. And this is nothing to him. Worth $24 billion, mm -hmm. you know, two million bucks is like interest on his wealth that he already has. Uh. This is interesting. He donated a million dollars to the Voice campaign this year. And, again, mm. again, this is important. Everyone who thinks that, oh, rich people are good because they give heaps of money to charities and they actually make the world a better place. After it was reported that he donated a million dollars to the Voice Yes campaign, he was asked by a journalist why he'd done so. Pratt referred the question to an advisor who said, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. The advisor said that. 
<laughs> he probably didn't even know that he donated this money. They were just looking for places and they're like, uh, we'll do it to one one million to the yes campaign. And then he's like, wait, why do we do that? And they're like, don't worry about it, Anthony. We'll, uh, we'll deal with it. Say it's the right thing or some shit. It's the right thing. It's the right thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Well, in private, this masthead has confirmed via confidential sources that Pratt claimed he made the donation only after his government relations advisor had held a private meeting with one of Albanese's senior staffers and had asked if there was anything Pratt could do to help the Labor administration. Wow. Pratt claims that the PM staffer responded by asking Pratt to support the voice prompting the donation. So wasn't the right thing at all. Didn't give a shit about Aboriginal people. It's just a way to garner curry favour yeah. with the Labor government. Yeah, they literally like, hey, what bribe could we offer you? Um, <laughs> what would be acceptable? Uh, the Pratts have also at various times put former Prime Ministers Bob Hawke, Malcolm Fraser, Gulf Whitlam and New South Wales Premier Nick Greiner on the payroll after they left office. Classic. We've now learned that in recent years Pratt also hired two geniuses as his consultants, right? You want some smart people, you want some people yeah. to give you incredible insight, yeah. you want your Tony Abbott and you want Paul Keating. <laughs> Oh, wow. Really like both sides in it as well. Like the heroes of the far right and the heroes of the like, well, of the labor movement. The center right. <laughs> yeah. The center right. Yeah. I guess that's not necessarily both sides in it. But of the two political parties, it's their heroes. Pratt hired Tony Abbott only weeks after Abbott had lost his Sydney seat of Warringah to independent Zali Stegel. So he loses and Whoa. Pratt says, I want that guy. Get me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to pay him a retainer of eight grand a month. Oh. Whereas Keating's retainer is more than triple that at $25,000 <laughs> a month. Owned, Tony. Oh. Hero of the working people. Paul Keating loves working people. Labor Party, they're all about the workers and stuff. They will accept 25 a grand a month from a billionaire to give him very mm. general advice, apparently, about international affairs. Oh, but he said that funny thing about do you slowly. So, you know, is he a fuckwit? Is he a neoliberal conservative piece of shit? Or is he a working class hero? It's hard to say because the do you slowly thing. Keating's defense of this was like, however, I knew that I worked with Anthony Pratt. So we've known about this for ages. It hasn't been oh. secret. But I, guess, oh. I don't think we knew that it was 25 grand a month, Paul. Jeez. Oh, all good then. Yeah, don't worry about it, Paul. The documents also show that Pratt paid $1.2 million to former Abbott staffer Richard Dowdy in 2022. Dowdy infamously called Malcolm Turnbull a cunt after <laughs> Abbott was rolled for the leadership in 2015. Okay, I did not know that at all. I didn't know that either. But, I mean, what? how is that news? Like, sure, I guess it was just that it was leaked because people call each other cunts all the time. Of course. But I guess, yeah, that was. Must have been recorded. The infamous example therein. Mm, yeah, okay. All right, so again, no mind-blowing conclusions here really. You know, rich people use their money power to influence our politics. Politics is corrupt. And, and yes, the Stop Labor the Party does this too, you weird progressive people. Like recognise the fact that this is cooked in a very bipartisan way. And He's you know, not what good does, mates with Adam Bant. Yeah, weirdly, yeah. No, uh. no calls <laughs> thus far to the Greens, it seems, based on these <laughs> revelations. <laughs> And the kind of stuff you get out of this is heaps, okay? Pratt was obviously a huge fan of Trump because of Trump's massive tax cuts for business corporation taxes, huge windfall mm. for um, Pratt Industries in the US when that happened. Okay. He was at Labor's Jobs and Skills Summit, of course, mm. giving his chipping in there. Interesting. Yep. In 2016, the Australian Tax Office revealed that despite more than $2.5 billion in revenue in 2013-14, Pratt Consolidated Holdings had not paid any taxes. That's that's really weird. So strange. Weird. They must have been doing it tough, I guess. So, you know. 
Most recently, in November 2022, Victorian Environment Minister Lily D'Ambrosio was forced to defend a Labor Party fundraiser hosted by Pratt while a tender process for Victoria's $500 million <laughs> container deposit scheme was underway. Oh, sounds like something that uh, Busy might be able to help with, container deposit I scheme. So. I mean, Pratt did eventually win that contract, but that's just, oh, that's just a coincidence. Oh, but unrelated. Yeah, unrelated. Yeah. And how dare you even suggest? <laughs> Just a reminder, Greens do not take corporate donations whatsoever. They wouldn't take <laughs> donations from a psychopathic billionaire vampire like Anthony Pratt and we well, want to tax these people. Uh, we could just- under our policy. To be fair, we could take donations from a billionaire. We could take from individual billionaires, yeah. But I think that it could go through. I think we have a process to review whether donations like this are appropriate and it's quite likely that that board, that process would, I would hope, reject donations from someone like this. Yes. And even if we did take that money from Anthony mm. Pratt, we'd be using that to fund a political movement to tax him out of existence so we exactly. couldn't get any more donations. So it's actually fine <laughs> if we did even. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's not an official Greens party podcast. <laughs> In summing up, it's the Constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe, and uh, no, that's it, it's the vibe. I rest my case. That was sensational. You hear that, Tom? No. That's the sound of a silent, lovely electric vehicle. Oh. In good news for electric vehicles, last week the High Court struck down the Victorian government's tax on electric vehicles, the road user tax that only applied to EVs. They ruled in favour of two plucky EV owners who took the government to court (laughs) and said that this tax was unconstitutional. Their regular, you know, guy from the castle-ing this uh, because states can't levy consumer taxes. Now, this is being claimed as a Victorian Greens as a hashtag Greens win, but is it really? This week on Serious Danger, we investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Good hook. I'm so Thank glad you. you took this on because I, I don't know what to think about it all. I think maybe briefly on the pod at some point we mentioned this yeah, fact. Yeah, we and did. And I guess when, when the headline was just Labor is trying to tax electric vehicles, that's fucking stupid. That was perhaps, mm. a, you know, a sim- simplistic reaction. But I suppose lots of people that I you know, respect or like to listen to have responded to this news sort of saying, um, maybe not good. Yeah, it's there's there's interesting discourse. So I guess let's go back and briefly recap exactly what this tax is, where it's come from. So the Victorian government introduced this road tax that only applied to electric vehicles in 2021. What it does is it charges electric and hydrogen vehicle owners a certain amount, 2.8 cents for each kilometre that, that they travel during the year. And then for plug-in hybrids, it's a slightly lower rate, 2.3 cents per kilometre. Hybrid vehicles are exempt unless they're plug-in hybrids. Right. And the idea the idea being that electric vehicle users don't pay fuel excise. Yes. But they are still road users so so you know to take that's the way that we fund roads and stuff is to take either fuel excise or road user charges. Yes. You take that revenue to to maintain the roads. So because yep. EV vehicles aren't paying fuel excise that we've got to get them in some way and we're going to do that through this particular yeah. road user charge. Because they still drive on the road, they contribute to the degradation of the road, they contribute to traffic and congestion, et cetera, and so they should pay somewhat. And also I guess the idea being that as more people switch to EVs, 
there will be fewer people paying the fuel excise tax and we need to recoup that money from somewhere to fund this is kind of the argument for it. Right. But there's been a fair bit of backlash to this kind of tax for various reasons, which we'll get into. Earlier this year, in fact, South Australia voted to repeal its own version of the tax. It was due to come in- into force in 2027 or when EVs reached 30% of new car sales. But they said this year we're ditching it. New South Wales and WA, I think, had proposed a similar tax be introduced but haven't yet done it. Uh, and it's likely as a result of this high court decision that they may not go ahead. In South Australia, so that's the Labor government repealing an electric vehicle tax that yeah. was introduced by the Liberals? Well, I actually don't know who introduced it. That's a good point. Their own, but I feel like maybe thing. they repealed their own. Like I feel like it's they sort of introduced this and then there was such swift backlash that initially they were like, oh, let's delay it. They initially said, okay, we'll push it back a little bit. And then I think eventually they were like, actually, nah, we're not going to do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. The... Greens have been running a campaign on this. So for, I don't, maybe since it was introduced, like at least the last couple of years, they've had a petition up on the website being like, let's ditch Labor's tax on on EVs. And when this news about the court decision broke, Ellen Sandell, Victorian Greens MP, tweeted, breaking, the High Court of Australia has ruled Labor's tax on electric vehicles unconstitutional. Greens have fought. Sorry. Politicians mm-hmm. should not say break, breaking. Breaking. They cannot tweet breaking. I hate it. And I, I just okay. I really See, my view on it. this is you can tweet breaking if you are breaking the news. I, it's probably <laughs> unlikely that she was breaking this news. I imagine someone would have covered it before this. But um, the Greens have fought against this tax since it was introduced. Now we are calling on the Victorian government to pay back all EV users who had to pay this tax. So they're saying. Oh, they we need to pay them back. It's not good enough that it's now been scrapped. These poor EV owners. I know. These Teslas, they're on Struggle yeah. Street. It is rough, you know. I'm sure they were struggling to put food on the table after having to pay this tax. I will say, so it sounds like reg- before we get into the meat of whether this is like a good tax or a bad tax and whether it should exist, the scheme as it was implemented in Victoria, it sounded like had some problems because like with the implementation, people mm. had to literally take a photo of their odometer and send it in to the government. Okay. If they didn't do that in time, they would be charged for driving 13,500 kilometres or they could have their rego suspended or cancelled. And last month there was this report tabled in Victorian Parliament by Victorian Ombudsman about all of the complaints that they'd had from EV drivers saying that particularly hybrid plug-in drivers had been treated unfairly because these are cars that can still use fuel, petrol, and therefore are sometimes paying the fuel excise tax as well. For example, they said they got this one complaint from someone who had travelled thousands of kilometres in remote Australia where there were no charging stations and so Mm. they were purely using like petrol, using a lot of petrol and paying for that tax and yet they were still charged with this tax as though they weren't using any petrol or they were using a mix of petrol and Mm. electricity. Um, I will say how like, yes, that's pretty shit and probably should have been ironed out. However, it is a real stretch from this guy, Gareth Vanderhope, that I saw in the replies, I think to Ellen's tweet on Twitter saying, no one is saying EV owners should never pay for RDS, but the Vic government tax was RoboDebt 2.0. No. <laughs> no, I like I don't know how many people tried to claim that. How many EV users were like this is like robo dead. It's exactly the same. Uh but yeah, they're like oh because you charge them for every kilometer driven even when running on petrol. That's exactly the same as robo dead. I really doubt that there are electric vehicle users who were like 
driven to, you know, suicide uh, as a result of this tax. But yes. anyway, uh, that tweet God, went on. If you on- want to piss off a constituency in our society who will read all the terms and conditions, that will do the paperwork, and that will <laughs> yes. like, that will have a very strong sense of themselves and their rights. The resources um, we'll to take it to court, to the, right? The resources like, to take it to court, it's EV owners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Gareth now, went if, on. If there are any EV owners listening or watching this, I'm sure there are some, you know. We, I'm we sure nice there are. People, and they're fucking cool. I've driven a Tesla. It's, it is yeah, kind of fucking Yeah, they're pretty awesome, cool. But. I would like to have one, let's be honest. Um so what Gareth says is the tax was punitive and reduced EV uptake for cleaner air. That right. is the angle that the Greens have been taking effectively. Their petition that was on their website says, you know, transport is Victoria's big- biggest growing source of emissions. To tackle the climate crisis, governments need to help people make the switch to clean transport. The new tax is making it more expensive for people to make that switch to low emissions vehicles. True. Transport is the second biggest emissions category after energy. It's about 18%. I think about 85% of that is from cars. These figures may be slightly out of date, but yes, like we need to reduce our emissions from transport. That is undeniable. And getting fewer people to drive petrol cars is part of that. But there is the question about whether this tax is actually going to disincentivize anyone who might have otherwise made the switch to EVs Mm. from doing so. Like, There was this, uh, you know, the Public Transport Users Association in Victoria did this kind of breakdown of the cost of driving an an EV once you have the EV versus driving a a petrol car. They said that driving an electric vehicle in Victoria with the road user charge included would be equivalent to having petrol prices at 80 cents per litre. So even with universal road charging in place, a typical EV owner would pay less or at worst maybe the same in tax to run their vehicle than a typical petrol petrol vehicle owner. Um, And this actually gets at the question that was before the court because the question that the court had to decide and that they made this decision ultimately on was whether this tax would have a material impact on the consumption of of EVs. And not everyone in the High Court agreed. One of the justices who put in a, a dissent said that the court had concluded, you know, without any empirical or economic evidence, that a tax of about $300 was, quote, reasonably anticipated to have a real and substantial economic effect in the market for the sale of goods worth up to $300,000 each. Yikes. So, so that was yeah, that was the figure three or four hundred bucks was the figure that I was kicking around that yeah. I heard kicking around a lot. So, is that is that the average expectation of your average EV user would be paying something in that order per year based on this tax? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Which for someone, it's true. Like electric vehicles are fucking expensive. If you can afford one, you're probably pretty well off. And I don't know that you would have gone. I really want to get an EV. I can afford it, but oh, three hundred bucks a year. I don't know. Maybe I won't actually. Right. There was this tweet from Professor Jenny Hocking on Twitter, quote, Victoria's EV tax was already concessional at 2.8 cents per kilometre compared to non-EV drivers, 5 cents per kilometre. Add the $100 registration discount that EVs already get and their drivers are clearly paying much less tax. Gutting Victoria's EV tax is no progressive win. So this would be, I guess, the critique that you might have been seeing kicking around, Tom. Well, uh, yes, both like on the face of it, like, uh, yeah, whether this was um, some massive burden that EV uh, owners who would be overwhelmingly materially secure would have to bear, but also, and perhaps we'll get to this, the 
ramifications for this high court decision mm. and what it's going to mean for state revenue in the future, which I don't want to jump ahead here. But, yeah, those yeah. are the two main critiques that I, I saw kicking around. Yeah. Yeah, there's the critique that this kind of almost returns us to our aggressive taxation system for the way that we tax car use in, in Australia because it means that poorer people who are more likely to drive a petrol than an EV car are paying more uh, than people who own an EV. And then there's also... So they're paying more towards a road, you know, towards road maintenance, the road maintenance budget, sorry, and that we're, by scrapping this tax, taking money out of a road maintenance budget that we all need and use or most of us need and use. The response from the Greens to this was road upkeep comes from general revenue, not the petrol excise, so everyone pays it. We don't need any disincentives to reduce emissions. The world is on fire, is what Ellen Sandell said. But I, I don't know if, like, I... Sure, that's kind of interesting to know that this isn't something that directly goes into the pool that then funds the upkeep of our roads. But it's also like we're potentially we're creating less general revenue, which means less money for a range of services and and infrastructure and and whatnot, including road upkeep. And mm. those who are paying more are the less wealthy. <laughs> right. But yes, as you point out. There's this question of the ramifications of this decision and whether it means that not only do we lose this, you know, relatively minor kind of income stream to, to general revenue, but it could pave the way for a bunch of other challenges to taxes in at, at, that are levied at the state level. So to get a little bit into, as I, as I kind of flagged before, <laughs> the, what the legal argument being considered here was, it seems like the main question the High Court needed to consider was about Section 90 of the Constitution, which says that the states can't impose a tax that is a duty of customs or excise. So excises are taxes on the domestic production, manufacture, distribution or consumption of goods. And this is why states, for example, can't impose GST. That has to be done at the federal level. Right. What these EV owners who took the Victorian government to court said was that the road user charge on electric vehicles was a tax on their consumption of goods, being their EVs. Right. What the Victorian government said was no, it's not a tax on your consumption of the good. It's a tax on an activity, which is driving on public roads inside and outside of Victoria, and therefore it shouldn't come under this Section 90 in the Constitution and we should be able to levy this charge. The High Court, a majority of the High Court justices, decided in making this decision to overrule a historic precedent, which was this 1974 case, um, which had held that a tax on the consumption of goods doesn't constitute an excise and therefore is allowed, the states are allowed to, to do it. But they, in making this decision, overruled that and potentially are now saying that this, you know, this does constitute something that potentially contravenes Section 90, which means other taxes at risk of challenge, payroll tax, land tax, gaming taxes, registration fees, even royalties, like, at a, like surely that's a stretch to say that royalties might somehow affect the consumption of, you know, a particular mineral or a product that's related to mining of a resource. Mm. But there are legal experts, there are people who are saying that this is the risk of this decision, is that it means all of these sources of revenue for the states could be challenged. Oh, boy. 
Now, and th- that's the thing too. Like, you know, it's not like it's all going to fall apart tomorrow. Cases need to be challenged and would have to mm. end up in the high court and would need to be then compared with this decision in order for it to actually start unrolling. But it, and it, I guess it could um, create legal issues for yeah state governments in the future that want to introduce new legislations like new taxes or or things. They might look at this high court decision and say, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I heard that, yeah, so people are saying, okay, now if this is in the Commonwealth's jurisdiction, then then the Commonwealth should do something about it quickly mm. and should move quickly to make sure that they can, I mean, potentially you know, have a universal approach to yeah. EV uses across the country, which would be good, I guess. Yeah, but well, yeah. not according <laughs> to the, Greens, the Greens are like saying, Labor, you need to now come out and rule out introducing any tax on right. EVs, whereas the Teals in particular are saying, yes, we need a nationally consistent approach. They are saying we want a road user charge implemented at the federal level, but not one that just applies to EVs. They agree that they that the Victorian version they didn't like because it unfairly only applied to EVs is, is their view and it should apply to all road users, which I guess, you know, yes, is kind of a different way of thinking about how we charge people who drive cars on our roads. Labor, it sounds like it's been a bit vague. They're sort of like, we'll work with the states on a solution. Um, But yeah, it it raises interesting questions about even just the the political and and from a, a green left perspective, whether we do want to encourage any kind of car use on our roads. Mm. I have conversations with my comrades about whether we should be moving towards like banning all private car use at some point in the future because of the way that it is such a waste of space, you know, the space that car parks in particular take up in our, in our cities, um, the, the fact that you can fit a million more bicycles and people on a road than you can a, a private car, mm. they, you know, it means we have all these wide roads, which are very inefficient inefficient use of space. And instead maybe we just, you know, in instances where we do, need cars still while we develop a better public transport system because this is the point, you know, you don't want to end up penalising people for uh, for poor access to quality public mm. transport, which is a failure of government. Mm. But maybe we could just have like a shared publicly owned hire car thing for when we need it. But, you know, people do love their cars. I was like, I, if I'm honest, I like driving sometimes. Mm. You Wait, do you have a car, Tom? I don't have a car, no. You don't even have a car. Yeah. So are you on board with this? Should we ban cars? Um, Certainly, yes. The the dream would have cities and suburbs that are far less car-centric. Yes. I mean, mean, there's an element to which the GD has left the bottle somewhat that kind. Like before the Mm. introduction of the cars, when they were introduced, they were often hated by people because they were like, these things suck and we don't want to coordinate our entire cities around these, these death machines. Um, mm. But of course, through the power of the auto industry and the oil industry, oh, how much that was defeated. Like jaywalking invented by the uh, oil and car industry yeah. as a defense, all that kind of very interesting history. Um, so, yes, you know, making our cities more uh, less hospitable to cars and more friendly to pedestrians and bikes and public transport is, is definitely the dream. Yeah. Mm. I don't, I just don't. I, I recognize every possible. now and again when I when a car comes into my life or I drive one for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do <laughs> get why into this, my life. this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, it really does. Like it really does help, particularly, yes, we don't have an incredible, you know, public transport system everywhere. I do think some sort of charge, like perhaps a congestion charge like they have in London and Singapore, I think we spoke about this last time we discussed this on the show, they have charges to enter the city centre 
for example. Mm. There's even there've been studies conducted in Melbourne about what might change uh, behavior of drivers, and I think they found that charging by time of day to go to a particularly, you know, to enter the city or, or to drive was the most effective at, at changing behavior use and that can really reduce congestion. Mm. So, yeah, like I think that that's worth looking at. I I think that it's a it's one of these things that, yeah, the Greens fighting so hard against this on multiple levels. I'm like ideologically I'm not sure that I care so much about, yeah, pushing electric vehicles. They're very resource intensive. We should be looking mm. for other alternatives. Sure, they're better than petrol, but is this, you know, $300 a year for someone who can afford a $300,000 car? Is that really the battle that we want to pick? And does it help shift away from the perspective that, you know, Greens AU2 on Twitter has the image of the Greens as this like inner city fucking like wealthy completely, I don't know, just, yeah, like a very privileged group of small group of people and fighting for their interests as opposed to the bigger picture. Uh, I fear that it hinders our ability to move beyond that. Yeah, you say small group. I'm looking at something like um, 78,000 EVs in Australia. Does that sound In Australia. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or is that? Potentially. I wonder if there are more in Victoria as well. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's finish on the Greens. Uh, Greens AU2, Greens parody take. To pay for all the wonderful social programs our government offers, motorists pay a tax of 48.8 cents per litre of petrol. This became an issue when electric vehicles were released. Victoria approached this by introducing a tax on every kilometre driven by EVs. We support, now again, very confused. We supported um, this yeah. tax because rich people buy EVs and should be punished for buying cars that others can't afford. The High Court has just ruled that Victoria can't charge Zilev those rich capitalist judges obviously just want EVs without having to pay their fair share. We'll be campaigning for reintroduction of the tax, dismissal of those privileged judges, and a higher tax on EVs than petrol-powered cars. But no, that's the opposite. The, the, like this isn't even the parody thing. <laughs> it's meant to, yes, isn't it? It's like parody works when there's a kernel of truth, right? And if only there were in this instance, <laughs> if only there were. Despite the serious allegations. Did you kiss her? Despite all the headlines. Were you intimate with her at all? Bruce Lehrman has never been able to tell his side of the story. Until now. The Spotlight Exclusive, Sunday, 7 o'clock. It's such an honour to be part of the same network as my best friends and showbiz mentors, Andrew O'Keefe, Craig McLaughlin and Ben Robert Smith. Thank you, sir. Tom, did you hear that at least two people as of the time of recording on Friday have died in bushfires in Queensland? I had not heard that at all, no. I've heard lots of dire predictions about what the bushfire season is going to look like this year, but um, <laughs> no, I did not hear that. That's awful. Well, it's, yeah, not even going to look like anymore. It's already happening because, already as happening. we know, bushfires season is earlier and longer and more severe it's quite fucked up. Meanwhile, the major parties continue to approve new coal and gas and disregard all of our futures. Thankfully, the kids are trying to fucking do something about it. Shout out to the climate strikes. They are back on. There's a big old one happening on a Friday, November the 17th, and which is Mike's birthday, I see here, according to the show, um, <laughs> the, show the show doc. Happy birthday, Mike. The 17th Mike's birthday. November. Yep. Yep. Thanks, the Griff. Shout out to Ben 
who sent an email out, if you're on the school strike for climate emails, you would have seen this, but he's decided to stage a three-week school strike outside Queensland Parliament with other Mianjin Brisbane students. Have you seen these mm-hmm. little kitties yeah. outside your work? Yeah, oh. they've been there all week. I think they're there, yeah, they're going to be there for weeks and they're literally just like parked up in the fucking heat. Uh, oh. When I spoke to I went out and spoke to them actually and they were saying this is really kind of an endurance test. It's not necessarily like a big showy protest thing. It's just like we're going to be here and whether you want to fucking do something, <laughs> up to you. That'd be good. We spent, oh yeah, in the heat, ironically. We spent the last yeah. three days in Mianjin, Brisbane, sitting outside Queensland Parliament all day with our notes and textbooks. We're going to remain here every school day for the next three weeks. We're still studying hard mm-hmm. for our exams and preparing mm-hmm. for our future, but we've had the sacrifice going to school because the government is not taking our futures seriously. Isn't it sad that they have to, like, this is almost a direct response to the fucking conservative bullshit argument when climate strikers try to stand up for their future that they're like well the you know shouldn't they should be studying they should be focused on their school and they're like okay fine we will fucking study while protesting for you to do something about our fucking future you cunts and yet they say it with much more poise and composure than than that they're classy these kids really classy yeah um Mm. i think one of the major calls is again to try and you know, legislate a duty of care and just reject mm. this insanity of like, oh, the environment minister has no duty of care to future young people to avert the climate disaster, which is, of course, ridiculous. But, yes, across, so solidarity and love to those kids at, at the front of mm. uh, Queensland Parliament Mianjin. You're awesome. Um, and, yes, please put on sunscreen. Um, but across the country on Friday, November 17th, school strike for climate. There are rallies happening all across the country, um, kids taking time to school, hitting the streets. I know that you may have done it before. We should do it again. Pop that in your diary. Friday, November seventeenth. Mm, time school strike happening again. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the show, Serious Danger. That's our podcast. You can rate and review it if you like it. Give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. It helps people, you know, think maybe I should listen to that show. That looks like an interesting show. Who are those guys on the cover? Serious Danger. What's what is the danger? I want to know more. Uh, you can do that by just rating us on an app on your phone. You can also do that by following us and sharing our content, our little clippies. We often put, you know, Mike puts together beautiful little clips with some visual stimulation as well on the social media at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find links at SeriousDangerPod.com. You can also find a link there, I believe, to buy tickets to our live show in Melbourne on November the 18th, Saturday, celebrating 100 episodes. Hope to see you there. What the world needs now is a podcast <laughs> by two people. Uh, <laughs> bye. This is a serious danger, Australia.